This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. Good evening. You are with Lee Chui Lin and Sharad Kutin. Tonight, a question. Might being an overly permissive parent keep your child from becoming a functioning adult? We'll be exploring this with a clinical psychologist right after this. But in the meantime, we're asking you, how were you raised and how has that shaped your, uh, the person that you've become? Let us know that number to call double seven double three two nine hundred. You can tweet us at BFM Radio and send us a voice note or WhatsApp at our U mobile number zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. This is Inside Story. It is 6.08. So, uh, to begin at the beginning, this is this idea, the idea for the show was sparked by an article from The Star, uh, which kind of posited that the reason why some young adults might be struggling with a sense of independence um, and the examples they used were parents showing up to, to work or parents calling in sick for their children. Why they might be struggling with that is because their parents are kind of overly protective, overly permissive, maybe even helicopter parents. And I think that's kind of an interesting idea to explore. Yeah, because we all, I mean, with some exceptions, have parents, or at least we have surrogate parents. Uh, and parenting is, I think we all kind of agree, uh, so fundamental in the formation of our personalities, right? In the way we behave, our, our fears, our aspirations, they all come in large part from our parents. Though then we graduate to other things and popular culture becomes another kind of parent uh, shaping our views and, and our instincts, as it were, right? Well, the, I, I'm glad you brought up pop culture in some ways because that I think today we are talking about parents and family dynamics and things like that but there are also other avenues to explore things like uh, generational differences whether uh, the ways people parent have just changed over the decades so it's all of that stuff that we're trying to cover today and joining us to do it is Prakash Ravindran clinical psychologist Prakash thank you so much for speaking with us Thank you for having me. All right. So we've kind of laid out the rough outline of what we want to talk about. Is this, I hesitate to call it a phenomena, but, but is this something that you've observed uh, often in your line of work? Um, yeah, I think I think in my line of work, I, d- I deal with parents a lot. Uh, so we, 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 I deal with the children, but part of working with the children involves working with their parents, uh, involving their family as well. Um, and I think a big part of it is, processing or figuring out how they parent their children and how their parenting style impacts uh, how their children develop, how their children respond to uh, their environment and and how they grow up. Can I just follow up on that? I mean, are the parents and the children that you're seeing there because they have a specific problem that needs to be solved? Or are you just dealing with parents who say, oh, you know, maybe a bit of therapy would be good all around? Uh, I've dealt with both. Yeah, so I mean, I think a majority of the time when, when, when families or parents come in, it is they have a specific concern, whether it's something they've observed themselves, whether it's something that has been observed in school uh, or family members. Uh, so there is usually a presenting concern. Uh, but there are, I guess, parents as well who have realized the value of, of therapy or the value of having their children or teenager uh, have an avenue that they can talk about things and and explore things, I guess, outside of the the, the comfort of of home. Yeah. So if we talk a little bit more about this question of parenting styles, right, which is the the central tenet of today's show, I think the thing about parenting is it's so personal. Um, What one person might think of as, well, you're spoiling a child. Another person might think, well, you know, no, you're just being loving and supportive. How would you, I guess, to just lay the groundwork, how would you define the term permissive parent or for that matter, helicopter parent? Okay. Um, the, the, the typical way we, we look at parenting, this is, uh, I guess, a, I'm going to call it a parenting concept or, or framework that was born by uh, Dr. Bombrin. I don't know if I pronounced her name correctly, uh, where she came up with three different parenting styles, which are the permissive parenting, authoritative parenting and authoritarian parenting styles. 
are basically how she looked at them is that they vary based on their level of demandingness and responsiveness. Yeah, so for permissive parenting specifically, it would be parents who um, have very low demands. Uh, they don't have many demands on their children, um, but they have a high level of responsiveness. So they do have warmth and, and they do show love to their children, but they don't really expect too much. You know, They don't tell their children you should be doing this and you should be doing that. They give their parents the free reign. Um, that would be permissive parenting. And if we were to define helicopter parenting, helicopter parenting was not part of this, I guess, parenting model. Uh, but if we use that same scale, helicopter parenting would be parents who have very high demands. Yeah, so permissive, very low demands, but um, helicopter parents, they have very high demands. So, of course, uh, as the name says, they're hovering, right? So they're always watching out. They're always looking out over their kids. They have certain expectations. They want their kids to do well. Achievements, grades, uh, yeah. I want to ask you this because, you know, the different generations seem to be uh, shaped by the fashion of, you know, some fashionable idea of parenting. So my mother in the 60s was very influenced by, say, Dr. Spock, right? And so the American child psychologist who wrote the, the book on parenting. And I, I wonder if that'd be true someplace like Malaysia. In Malaysia, do, especially, I think, true of the middle classes, uh, is there kind of a dominant parenting style or fashionable parenting style today is it the permissive or is it the authoritarian and I, i'm kind of almost guessing what the answer is but you know what is it that dominates um you know i, th I think the big thing culturally here in malaysia is the one you know you always call tiger parents right like you know they're they are always there they're watching they have strong demands and they have high expectations um for for their children and i think like you mentioned we talk about I guess, culture and, and, and development across the generations. Um, you know, I think generally the, the world of late has been viewed as more a dog-eat-dog -dog world, you know. So you you got to fend for yourself. you got to do well. you you, you got to strive. If not, you're not going to make much of yourself. And I think that's where helicopter parenting came from. And that's where, I guess, these tiger parents also come about because they want the best for their child, right? And, and they want them to achieve and they're worried that if they don't parent in that way, then their child may lose out or miss out. So the the value system part is interesting because um, the the phrase that I've been kind of hearing a lot is gentle parenting, and mm. and that. I, from what I understand, I'm not the guest today, um, but from what I understand is sort of premised on not the dog-eat-dog -dog thing, but the idea of, no, um, kindness is an important thing that I want um, my child to have. Respect is um, more important maybe than being, quote-unquote, successful in, in the tiger parent's version of the world. Could you talk to us about some, where, well, about the term gentle parenting and where it fits into this growing framework of, of phrases that we're using? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think... Sometimes people use the terms interchangeably gentle parenting or some might call it conscious parenting. Um, and a, a big part of premise of it, I guess, is the aspect of collaboration between the parent and the child. And I think we, we, we've come to a day and age where um, the child's voice, they, they want to be heard, right? And, and I think it's important to recognize that. And I think parents have started to recognize that if they they don't um, involve their child in this process, um, then it's going to be very difficult for them to have that relationship with their child. Um, so I think you mentioned just now gentle parenting, you know, things about like empathy, uh, understanding, respect, uh, but having boundaries as well. Uh, so I think these are some of the, 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 the frameworks or concepts around gentle parenting. We're speaking today with Prakash Ravindran, clinical psychologist, um, about parenting as a whole. But actually, more specifically, this was based on a, a question, which is whether an overly permissive, overly protective parent might keep their child from becoming a functioning, independent adult. And so we're asking you for your thoughts, but also, how were you raised? How has that shaped the person you've become? Let us know. That number to call, 7733 You can send us a voice note or WhatsApp, 018 seven eight nine double eight double nine and tweet us at BFM Radio. Bigotry free Malaysia BFM eighty nine point nine. 
It is 6.18 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sherrod. We are talking about parenting today and more specifically how different parenting styles impact the way people grow up. And uh, we're asking you, how were you raised? How has that shaped the person that you've become? Let us know. That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. You can send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We're continuing our conversation now uh, with clinical psychologist Prakash Ravindran. So, uh, before we, so the article actually talks about a generational thing. And before we get there, I wanted to know it, it's maybe an unfair question, but how much of the way one parents has to do with um, your own personal values? And I'm coming at this as a well documented perfectionist. I've talked about this a lot. And I, I'm just kind of thinking it through that somebody who is themselves a perfectionist might struggle to let their child make a mistake, for example. And so I'm, I'm just thinking about how that kind of threads along. Um, yeah, and I think you've got a spot on, and I think the the I think being a parent requires a lot of reflection, right? What what you bring to the table um, as a parent, like how you yourself were raised by your parents, uh, what is important to you, uh, and what are your personal values. I mean, most of the time, parents would want their children to learn and pick up some of their own values, right? Because uh, that, that's what you believe in, um, but at the same time, you know, and, and we talked about gentle parenting just now and we talked about collaboration. Um, it's also the process of letting your child be their own person um, and figure and learn things out by themselves as well. Now, I wanted to ask you, because I see this in people who have parents, I don't, sorry, have children, I don't have children myself, that what they do is they do the opposite of what they thought their parents did, uh, did right? So for them, while they might love their parents, they think their parents uh, fail them in some ways, you know, uh, well, either too uh, doting or not doting enough or whatever it is, right? And so they do the opposite. And is that something you see in your work that there are parents who, especially those who are super conscious about parenting as something that needs to be thought through, mm. that they are responding often against what they grew up with? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, like we talked about just now about the generational differences. Um, and I think... Parents having raised uh, parents who have now raising their own children, um, like you said, they they probably have picked up things from what their parents did, and they've probably figured out okay, w- what are things that I agree with? You know, what what sits with with my values now? What what do I think worked to help get me to where I am now? Um, and what didn't work? Um, and so then we they they kind of I guess patching it together um, to things that they've kind of picked up now and what is important for their child at this point of time. Um, but also, I guess, doing away with things that they, they don't so believe in. And I think the big one that people always talk about nowadays is the cane, right? Like, you know, uh, I, I grew up with the cane. Like corporal right? punishment, <laughs> basically yeah. getting smacked for your mistakes. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, that people always talk about the cane, and now, nowadays parents are, are realizing, oh, okay, uh, maybe we, we shouldn't use the cane anymore. Even though some of them may actually say that, you know, I, I grew up with the cane and I'm, I'm I turned out fine, uh, but they probably realize that okay, the caning children in, in this day and age may not be the the way to go. How much does social media play into this? And I'm asking um, because, I mean, while we're talking about generational things, the truth is that for people right now, for example, um, I'm just guessing who are, let's say, in their 30s, who still believe in, let's just use the cane as an example, believe in it, um, they might find themselves actually out of step with what the with the advice that they're constantly seeing online, with the things that their friends are doing. And I'm just curious how that might influence the way people think about how they raise their children, which is... They say it takes a village, but then it's also a very personal thing. Yeah, uh, I think social media plays a big part. Um, and um, I think the way, not just for parents, but for children as well, right? How how children grow up nowadays, there's a lot of influence from social media. Um, and the same thing comes with parents as well. And, and I think they pick up stuff, a lot of things online. Um, but of course, they pick up things from their friends, from their circles, um, yeah, from the people around them. And I think... It really depends on filtering what they believe works for them um, and what they believe will help, I guess, shape their child. 
Uh, and that can be a combination of factors, whether it's how they were raised, uh, whether it's how well, how they were raised, what went well, or how they were raised, what didn't go well. I, I wanted you to... Uh, no, sorry, just briefly, Francis on WhatsApp is saying, I'm 61, raised with the Rotan. I love my parents and miss them even more now that they've passed on. So I think um, just clearly this this question of the cane resonating with people. Well, Francis, you know, you and I are about the same age. I'm 58. And so we've probably been, you know, we're exposed to, I think, American television. There were a lot of television uh, tev- television families, the Brady Bunch, the Partridge family. They're all taught us a particular model of parenting as well, kind of, you know, kind of the subtext was, you know, how do you be a good parent? How do children respond? And I wonder if, you know, social that uh, level of popular culture is shaping not just what parents think they ought to do, but what children expect of their parents. Why is the parent on television so loving and compassionate and supportive? And my parents are just asking me to get uh, A plus, you know, and if not, I'll get, you know, grounded or something. Yeah, that's right. And, and I think um, children nowadays are, have... I don't know whether you want to say that it's things more difficult for them because they're just exposed to so much more, right? And um, whether it's social media, whether it's it's television shows, uh, there's just so much out there that, that are sending them a lot of messages uh, that for a developing child, they may not be able to, I guess, discern on their own what might be best. Uh, but for sure, it's going to color their opinion on or, or comparisons, right, of how things should be. Um, yeah. Well, Azami on WhatsApp says, my parents were permissive. Uh, I was raised by American sitcoms, the likes of The Cosby Show, Growing Pains, My Two Dads, Family Ties, Sullivan's, etc. I turned out fine, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so to that point about pop culture helping to raise uh, children, we're getting some examples already. By the way, keep those thoughts coming. Um, we're asking you, how were you raised? How has that shaped the person you've become? Uh, give us a call, double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp, 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Now, I, I think the thing about how uh, people become independent is an interesting question. And um, being protective, wanting what's best for your child, these are pretty common parenting traits. I, I would dare say almost universal. But at what point does it become unhelpful for a person's independence, their resilience or their growth? Yeah, um, I think... I think that's th- that balance is required when it comes to parenting um, and being able to know when you need to step in and support your child and, and help them with certain things versus when it might be a chance for them to learn and do things on their own. Um, and whether that's learning by success or learning by failure, um, you learn either way. And I think some people might say you learn more from your failures than, than, than what you do well. Um, but of course, it's, it's very important for parents to be there um, when I guess they allow their children to be independent, when they go, allow their children to go out there and uh, do things, uh, it inv- involves their parenting being there to provide that support, that safety net, right? Um, and, you know, a big part of it also is uh, the, I guess, what you place importance on or what you place value on, right? Is it value based on the success or value based on the effort, right? And, and we're seeing that, more and more importance is the the emphasis on the effort rather than just the final result. Um, can I also say, how do parents deal with watching their children be bad at things? And and I ask this, um, having spoken recently to fathers who grew up athletic, who were just, you know, really great at, um, say, basketball and are now watching their uncoordinated sons kind of just struggle through it, enjoying the game, but certainly not playing to a level that, an athletic father would, would expect. My <laughs> athletic father had uh, his other son to, uh, uh, you know, to project his... There's only one son in this case. There's no other son, <laughs> you know. And so I, I guess I'm just thinking about how parents work through mm. that that thing of watching your child be bad at something. Yeah, yeah. And and I think, I, I believe it goes back to your, your values again, right? You know, um, as a parent, you, you have hopes, you have dreams, you have goals for your children. Uh, you you know you have a vision of what you foresee parenthood to be, right? Or if you have a if you have a son, uh, you imagine oh I'm gonna start kicking the ball around him when he's able to walk. Uh, I'm gonna start teaching him how to play football, and you know you build up these things in, in your head. And of course, then when it comes to time, and like you said, oh they they fall over the ball and they may not be so coordinated. Of course, it is, I guess, a, a sense of 
to a quote-unquote loss, I guess, of what your 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 dream or what your goal was. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that um, your son or your child will have other things that they can do and have other abilities uh, if given the opportunity to show uh, instead of just, you know, forcing down a road because of our own projecting our own goals and our own dreams on them, uh, but maybe trying to foster and trying to build up other areas of abilities or skills um, that they can be good at. Yeah, we have a minute before we go to the break. Uh, how do you convince a protective parent or a parent who is ambitious to give up their dreams and let the child grow up on their own? How to convince them? Eh? I think, I mean, I think it's difficult, but I think maybe going back to thinking about the child's emotions and the child's, you know, nowadays we talk about the child's, even children's mental health um, and the, I guess, the anxiety and the stress that can come when we try to place this kind of, I guess, hopes and dreams on our children. Um, I think helping them also realize and see uh, the impact of their actions on the child's emotions, how their mood is, how their feelings are. Uh, you know, you're probably going to have kids who are resentful doing these things. Uh, and whether that's the relationship you want to have with your child, uh, I think that's usually a good point of reflection. We're going to continue our conversation after this with clinical psychologist Prakash Ravindran. And today we're talking about parenting and more specifically how the, how parenting styles can really shape the adults that you're trying to raise. And that's what we're asking you. How are you raised? How has that shaped the person you've become? That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Be free-minded. BFM 89.9. It is 6.39 and you're listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sherrod. We're talking today about how parenting shapes the people we become. Um, and this began because of an article that argued that perhaps overly protective parents might be resulting in a lack of independence in young adults. And so we're extending that and asking you, how were you raised? How has that shaped the person that you've become? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. So we're continuing our conversation now uh, with Prakash Ravindran, clinical psychologist. Speaking of, um, we have messages from people kind of circling your profession in some ways because Madiha says my mom used to be a school counsellor she may have psychoanalyzed me and my siblings a tad now I struggle with letting my kids just be kids it's hard to allow them to freely express themselves without wondering what the ulterior motivations behind their behaviour actually are luckily my husband balances this out and allows them some fun because he's super childish himself <laughs> wow I mean, is it is there a problem in over um, analyzing your child? Uh, because it's a thing, right? There are lots of books that talk about child psychology. You might not be a professional yourself, but you might read about it, right? And then try and practice. Yeah, I mean, there's so much pop psychology there out is, there in the yeah. world, isn't there? Yeah. Is that damaging for par uh, for Both. parents? <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think I think it's important to have a difference between theory and practical. Right, like you know, we, we we read up things, we learn. You said there's a lot of uh, pop psychology, and you read a lot of these things, but not everything is meant to just be uh, applied black and white uh, that way. Um, and we talk about analyzing your child or over analyzing your child. I think it's the manner of it's done, how it's done. Uh, I think it's also important to tie these things in with the child's personality because every child is different, and every child is a different individual. Um, and children who maybe are a little bit more anxious, maybe, uh, are going to get even more anxious, right, if you start analyzing them in that fashion. So I think it's it's tying all these things in together, and it's uh, knowing what the theory is, but also knowing how to practice it or how to implement it. Um, and I think taking into consideration the child's characteristics is and personality is important as well. Uh, Shamil also says, I was raised without the rotan. So there's the, the rotan <laughs> question again. But there were mind or psychological negative reinforcement games from my mom. I turned out fine, albeit slightly weird. But uh, yeah, I raised my kid without rotan as well. Mm, yeah. And, and I think that's, that's I guess, a, a product of your parenting is shaped who you are and, and um, shaping what you believe works. 
um, and and applying that as well. But okay, so the but the question seems to have something underlying it, right? So one is external punishment; it's physical and it leaves mm. a scar, maybe, but it's on the flesh. And the other is this kind of like, you know. Um, it's it's equally powerful because, and I think this is what my mother did, and, and thankfully she lives in Singapore, so she's not going to listen to the show, is that, you know, there was always this uh, emotional coercion, I think, uh, to put it in extreme terms, that uh, you felt from your parents, right? They, You disappointed them. Yeah. They didn't have to hit you. Yeah. They, you just disappointed them, and that was enough, right, to feel so the guilt mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. So what is better? Is it better to just smack them and get it over with? Or is it, be- is it better to play these mind games? I think that was the question that was asked. Yes, which has become so much darker now in your iteration, <laughs> but sure. So what would you suggest? Okay, I, I mean, I think I think the way to think about it maybe is without using the word punishment, right? I think punishment has a, a, a strong connotation when it comes to it, but I think using the word consequence is is a is a is a better way to think about it. And uh, I mean, part and parcel of it is teaching the child that everything there there's consequences to your actions, right? Whether uh, it's a positive consequence or a negative consequence, right? And if you tie it to the rotan, the the rotan is a negative consequence, like right for whatever they did uh, or did wrong. Um, but I think there are different ways to teach them what the consequences of things are, um, and I, I would, I probably would veer away from physical or emotional as well. <laughs> emotional uh, blackmail is not the order of the day. It's not I, the fashion today. No, no, no? okay. <laughs> Just checking. Yeah, yeah, but but no, I mean, and and I think getting them to real to to learn or realize also that, that there's consequences in the real world, right? And uh, what these consequences are, if you um, if you don't study for exam, you, you're going to get a bad grade, right? And that's the consequence, um, and and that's something the child has to learn from as well. So if we go back to assuming that the ultimate aim is to is to raise somebody who is independent, right? So let, let's move away from the value systems to a degree, because earlier we were talking about, you know, tiger parents wanting academic or professional success, um, gentle parents wanting mm-hmm. kindness. But if we assume that everybody wants to raise somebody who can function in society and do yeah. that well, um, what are some signs to look out for that that might not be happening, either with uh, the child you're raising or mm-hmm. for that matter in yourself as a parent? Yeah, um- so I think when when it comes to looking out for signs from your child, I think it's just probably seeing whether they can get things done on their own, right? And and or whether they're going to need a lot of help, uh, whether they're going to need a lot of reminders and prompts and uh, check-ins from you about whether they've got certain things done. Um, and I think that is probably a telltale sign that they're having difficulties or they're not sure how to do some of these things uh, in, in developing their independence. Um, and I think the reflection as a parent is how much of these things are you allowing your child to do? Uh, are you letting them try um, to do certain things? So, you know, if you go out um, and have dinner, maybe do you want to let them try ordering their own food? Uh, do you want to let them I try? I was very scared of that growing <laughs> up, ordering. <clears throat> yeah. No, yeah. I didn't yeah. know there was a problem. Uh, um, it, it just meant speaking to an adult or yeah. a stranger. What if I got the order wrong? You know, so it's all yeah. these things. So that's a good example. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's small things, right? It, it, you may not think that it's it's something consequential, but um, it builds up that confidence, right? And and, and uh, as, as Lynn mentioned, it it helps build up their ability to uh, speak up for themselves. Um, and and I think a big construct that people talk about when you're trying to build this independence in children is developing their self-efficacy. Uh, so the, their belief that they can take action, their belief that they can do something uh, and influence uh, their the world around them with their actions. Yeah, so, okay, so... So some of us also have the sense that, that different stages in one's life, right? I mean, yeah. and we, I think we all kind of f- feel that. Uh, but when you step into a child's life, right, if they're being, say, for instance, being bullied in kindergarten or primary school, um, is it very different uh, in terms of, say, the situation if they were a bit older in the workplace, the university? I mean, how, how do those things pan out in terms of, the role of the parent. Yeah. What should parents do, uh, depending on the the stage of the child's life? Yeah, uh, good question. And <clears throat> I think we, we talk about something like that. I think it comes down to 
knowing where your child is developmentally and, and where they sit in terms of their age. Um, of course, when they're younger, if you talk about something like bullying, uh, they might need some support from their parents to help them with that. Uh, but it's also important to teach the child how to deal with it um, rather than just handling it for the child. Uh, you know, instead of just saying, you know, I'll talk to your teacher, I'll, I'll get that done, uh, then that's going to be the expectation the next round as well. Uh, and then, like you said, when you get to the workplace, uh, mom or dad is not there to do that for you and, and you don't know how to do that yourself. Uh, so I think it's important for parents to, they can support their children as their child is growing up, but also have those conversations with their child uh, about what they can do. Uh, how can they stand up for themselves? What can they do to advocate for themselves? Um, and then that can be something that the, the child takes with them as they grow up and, and, and try out. Can I just sort of follow up on that? Because it seems that part of the conversation in the article was citing parents who do turn up at the workplace, yeah. right? So do you think the parents there are just not conscious of what they're doing? They're kind of infantilizing their own children? Yeah. Or is it that they think, well, never mind, this time I have to do it because it's so important to get over this bump? But how how do parents think about hmm. their interventions? Hmm. I think when, when it comes to that stage, it you've kind of stuck in a cycle already, right? You know, you, you've been doing that for so long um, and it's so difficult to just suddenly hands off and, and, and let it go. Um, and so that fear then just keeps you in that loop of, of having to return and do that. Um, and, and that's where, you know, we say that they're being overprotective, right, or overbearing because... The, the fear is so strong of what is the consequence if they're not there or if they, they don't help. So the thing is, right, if you've always been a more um, interventionist parent, you know, someone mm. who's always been there or, or stepped in and, and played that role, I imagine that making a shift to being one with... Uh, who's more hands-off, who's taking a step back, that can be difficult on both sides. You have to remind yourself not to step in. Um, your kid has to get used to you not doing that. What advice do you have on making that kind of conscious shift? Hmm. Um, I think communication is very important, right? So the communication between uh, parent and child, right? we, we, we said gentle parenting just now is, is collaboration, collaborative process. Um, so I think being being able to have some of these conversations with your child to highlight to them that hey you know there are certain things that I'm going to, we, we want you to start doing for yourself and you're going to try to do it uh, it's going to be difficult it's scary you you may not know how to do it but we'll figure it out together um, and and I think just letting the child know that you are there and and that you will support them no matter the outcome of of what it is uh, because I think to at the end of it all the child is the fear is of, of disappointing the parent, right? Um, and if as a parent, the, 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 for the child, it's tied so much to the outcome, then of course they, they, they don't want to try it so much because the, the fear is they, they can't do it, they, they fail, um, and they disappoint their parents. But uh, if we have that conversation and, and highlight the, the importance of trying, the effort, the value that you see in the child doing that, uh, then at least that helps shape shape or shift their perspective as well. Um, so the other thing, of course, is that people complain about participation medals, right? Um, that that we, we don't necessarily want to uh, take away competitive edge. You don't mm. necessarily want to make it so that, you know, just participation, just effort um, is, is seen as everything. Yeah. Um, and I guess, where's the balance there? Mm. I think it depends on where your child is at. Right. So again, so we mentioned just now that each child is an individual. Um, and if you're at that stage of they're not participating, then a participation medal is already a success. Uh, but if they're already participating and if they're doing that, um, then maybe the next step is trying to push them to, hey, maybe you want to try a little bit harder. Do you think you can do it a little bit differently? Uh, are there different methods to problem solve and see what can be done to try and change the outcomes a little bit? Um, so I think it really depends on where the child is at. I mean, so Lynn, are you the kind of person who would not give every child a medal? Is that what you're saying? No, it's not what I'm saying. Um, but I am a competitive person and by nature. And, and because of that, um, as a child, a participation medal was an insult. <laughs> you know, it's not enough for me personally. Yeah. Um, and so actually that's where I was coming at it from, that yeah. you would, you know, for some people, again, the whole everyone's an individual, uh, mm. for some people, it wouldn't be enough. Um, yeah. I, I would need more than that. I'd rather have nothing or a gold medal. 
you know, uh, but, but that's sorry, my eyes went a bit crazy. Yeah, but yeah, but, but yeah I kind of like uh, I'm actually more sympathetic to your position than you think I am. I, I do want to ask you this. Sorry, so when you're talking to parents and you just told us what you would say to the parents to incentivize this shift, what would you say to the child who's hmm. now had 10 years all their life growing up with somebody who's taken charge of their lives? Yeah. What is the perspective of the child or the young adult that we need to understand so that we're not too judgmental? Because I think often we are very judgmental of the child who ends up coming for a job interview with their parent in the in mm-hmm. the waiting room. Yeah. Um, I think it goes back to talking to them about what their hopes are, you know, going back to what what do they hope for themselves, right? You know, when it comes to, if we're talking about parents who are overprotective or overbearing, um, a lot of times the kids don't have a say, right? Their, their path is chosen by their parents and and. Um, and of course, then that might not be the right path for them. And, and that's why you might not see the effort. That's why you may not see the, the motivation. Uh, but going back to figure out what is it that they hope for, what is it that they want, um, and trying to tap into that motivation um, and understanding uh, them as an individual. I think that that is probably the way to go with the children. So... Um you actually work with people who live with autism or have learning differences. And I would imagine that our entire conversation, what we've been talking about, about independence in the workplace or even in schools, is uh, probably quite different than uh, for, for these groups of people than it is for neurotypical folks. Could you tell us a bit more about that and how the considerations are different? Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're, when we work with, with our population, we talk a lot about this thing called life skills, right? So when we talk about independence, it's basically building life skills. Um, and so when we when we uh, work, and actually something to think about is that with this with this population, actually we do think a lot about life skills. We do think a lot about independence, um, maybe more so than you might think of some with a, a child who is neurotypical, uh, because you would expect a neurotypical child. You, know, you say, oh, there's, there shouldn't be any barriers. You you you'll grow to be independent and you'll pick up these life skills. Uh, so, but for somebody who may be neurodiverse, there might be more barriers. So we start thinking about what are the skills needed and what are these independent skills that they need in this stage of their life. Uh, and we try to address it, I guess, as early as possible uh, because you, you kind of see where these barriers may come into as they grow, as they grow up. Prakash, I know you don't have all the answers, and I know that my parents didn't have all the answers. I think no parent has all the answers, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, they try their best. But so uh, what's your final message for uh, for parents out there or even children as they try to kind of deal with these dynamics? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think for parents, it, it it's really a reflection of uh, their parenting style or what how they parent their, their child. Um, and I guess a reflection of what their hopes are for their child, uh, but also uh, understanding of the child as an individual. I think we, we highlighted that a couple of times, understanding the child's characteristics uh, and building a, a relationship with the child, I think is very important because then that also teaches you how to parent the child. Um, and I think with for the child, I think nowadays children like to share their voice or, or they like to let, let their voice be heard. Um, and I think that that helps as well. So I think for, for children as well, if, if they can also, you know, it's, it's, it, it is challenging when parents don't do that because it's harder for tr- a child to initiate that with a parent. Um, but I, I think that's something that children can do as well. Like they can share, they can give their thoughts, they can give their feedbacks. Um, and that can, I guess, help your parent understand how you're feeling uh, or what you're going through. Uh, and tell your parent what you need from them uh, at at a certain point of time. Prakash, thank you very much for speaking with us. Thank you for having me. That was Prakash Ravindran, clinical psychologist, talking about the way in which parenting, you know, ends up shaping people. And that's what we're going to continue talking about after this. Let us know how were you raised? How has that shaped the person you've become? We'll be getting to your voice notes and messages after the seven o'clock news and some music. Uh, Keep them coming. You can call 7733-2900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Business, finance and music. BFM 89.9.
It is 7.07 and this is Inside Story with Lynn and Sherrod. And just to recap, um, it's a softer it's a softer show. It is a Friday. And also, um, there was an interesting article in the Star that essentially kind of asked the question about whether being an overly protective kind of hovering parent might result in your child essentially not becoming an independent adult. And some of the examples that they used were parents... Um, participating on the job search, uh, parents maybe calling into the office and saying, oh, my child is sick, they're not coming in. Just all these things that an adult would typically do, but that maybe the family dynamic doesn't permit. So we were talking about that, but also more broadly asking the question, it's a personal one, how were you raised? How has that shaped the person you've become? Uh, that number to call, double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp, 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Sharad, before we get to um, the voice notes, the messages, I wanted to ask you, I mean, you don't have to tell us your whole life story, but how would you answer this question, you think, broadly? You know, how would you describe the way you were raised? So I think I was... Um my pa- my mother, because my mother raised me until until I was a teenager, uh, she had a light touch. So we had a broad sense of where we had to go with, you know, with school and stuff. But she didn't hover. She didn't intervene. In fact, in many ways, uh, we were taught very young to be independent, you know, um, it, in terms of transport, we would get on the train and travel great distances. I mean, there's always an adult picking you up on the other side. But so I think being independent uh, was uh, very much the theme of my growing up. And I think I, you're still like that. Yeah. And I, mm. when I, by the time I got to my, uh, my teen years and I went to live with my father, I mean, he inherited my brother and myself, these really independent teenagers. A real shock for him. <laughs> but, you know, but in, in a good way. I mean, he didn't, you know, he didn't have to... Um, do the kind of parenting he thought he was going to have to do. I think he just thought, oh, they're kind of young adults. Interesting. Um, I I feel like I was raised um, very lovingly, firstly, but also... um by today's standards, my parents were more hands-off. They both worked. Um, so we always had our weekends, our dinners together every weekday night, very important. But I also had a lot of free time um, or a lot of unaccounted for time in which, yeah, you could do homework, um, but you could also be doing other things. Um, so so I had that kind of freedom. But also because um, there are two girls in, in my household, two daughters. So I think there was a certain sense of protectiveness that maybe would be quite different from your upbringing, not just because of our age gap, but actually because um, I think people regard raising girls and raising boys very differently. And, and that's actually something that we're getting in the messages because, for example, Shanti says, I, I'm, from a baby, I'm from the baby boomer generation, being the only daughter in an Indian family, I was overly protected. But somehow I did just the opposite with my three daughters and I'm now proud to say that they're comfortable enough to sew on their own. They're doing well in their lives. Shanti, it's fascinating that you chose, and I'm assuming it's both you and your husband, chose to bring up your children, your three daughters, differently. Mm. And so the question was why, right? Uh, did Was there a sense that... Uh, being overly protected, that you somehow missed out on things, and that's something that's something you didn't want for your daughters. I'd be fascinated to know because I do see, in fact, some really dramatic shifts in parenting. So you have one parenting style, and that child of that parenting style decides they're going to go in diametrically opposite direction when they uh, bring up their own children. And on the other hand, you also see uh, people who choose generationally to stay the same because they appreciate it so much about how they were brought up. So it really depends, I think, um, on how you regard your upbringing. Can I just add one thing to that? Yeah. Is that you might consciously want to change and then there's this other thing, the creeping sense that some of us get that we are turning into our parents. That Whatever it was that we kind of consciously want to push against, we can't because there's kind of a muscle memory or there's something in our DNA that drags us back to what our parents did to us. Mav says, um, and this I think echoes your point, Sharad, I was raised to be very independent at a very young age. I was taught to understand the concept of if you want something for yourself, you work hard to achieve it. Never depend and expect another person to get it for you. That's how I started working, earning my own income, getting my license, motorcycle, being able to obtain the qualifications and degrees that I currently hold. Hence, I'm a firm believer in working hard for what you want. Yeah, that's 
That's wonderful because I think that in some ways was also the um, the theme of my upbringing that, you know, in some sense, uh, even though I came from a very middle class family with all the kind of privileges that come with that and the second chance and third chance, uh, there was still a sense that you had to do it for yourself. But um, the question is, what happens when you move generationally towards greater affluence, when you're, the affluence itself changes the consequences that somebody might have or the op- opportunities they might have? And so I see that in the difference between my generation and the one that's come after. There's so many more options, but that could also be paralyzing. It could be, there might be a downside to actually the the um, the the wealth of opportunities that now been presented to that next generation. Well, wealth as a whole is something that Ku is talking about. But before we get there, um, I did want to play this voice note that came in earlier uh, from Shazwan. Hi guys, you know what? It's really hard to see nowadays. Uh, there is a days where we are grown up, uh, we are taught by our parents independent, where we can go where we want. Uh, we can go playground uh, at evening uh, at Hari Raya. We can go to our neighbor's house, uh, sometimes kilometers away uh, for Hari Raya. But nowadays, even though for some kids to go to their own uh, neighborhood, Pasar uh, Malam, or their neighbor's house, in just like 500 meters away, can be uh, can be like kidnap or let just lost like that so uh, it's really hard to say because growing up in the uh, situation that actually we are uh, independent and uh, actually uh, can we can do everything everything that we actually uh, prefer to do freely but nowadays we really need to be careful and and actually uh, but but if if let's say we need to monitor until they are actually working in the world, their working environment, I think it's a bit, a bit more uh, extreme. But uh, for me, kids nowadays it's not uh, can be freely uh, being independent at the age of uh, early days. Maybe we can we can start at, at the teenage days. Uh, I, I'm not I'm, I'm not sure because I, I'm actually raising my own child right now, so I'm not really sure. On, on how I can uh, implement what has already been uh, implemented at my grown-up days. Shazwan, thank you so much. I, I think um, you actually reflect a very sort of, something I've heard a lot, which is people saying that, firstly, things were very different from when I was growing up. You know, um, we, we had more freedoms, uh, we also had more safety. And then that kind of struggle with translating that into raising somebody today. It's interesting. I, I don't know whether... I do think in some senses that the world is more dangerous. Uh, it's also odd because in some ways, you have more ways than ever to keep track of your children. And, and that still ends up making people feel uh, that it's not enough. And and part of that might be because you don't hear from them. I, I don't know. There are all these things. Because your example, Sherrod, of taking the train and knowing that, sure, there's a parent uh, or there's an adult at the other end of it. But that means that you're out of contact from your parent for hours 10 hours maybe or yeah, more yeah yeah without a without a cell phone so the and then so this is it right because the paradox seems to be the more you can monitor the more you can be in touch the the less freedom you actually have because i think the i think the anxieties and i don't blame parents for this to be honest um there are a lot of bad things in the world, um, and I don't know if they've become worse uh, over time, but certainly, why would you want to take the risk? And so I think the, I think parents, just because of parents of what they are, are kind of uh, risk averse. And so, you know, they will default to a situation of, uh, of being more protective. I mean, the extreme would be, well, you can't, you know, walk around freely in your neighborhood and, you know, going down to the Pasamala becomes a big, you know, to do and you <laughs> make sure that child is getting a handphone or they do. But then every time there's a horror story around a missing child or a kidnapped child, I'm sure a lot of parents are traumatized. They must be thinking, this could have been my child. And so how do you make that balance right? I'm not sure if I, as a parent, if I was ever a parent, I would be able to say, no, 
children must be independent and they must go free. Because the impulse is always, right, I was raised this way and I turned out fine. I think that that tends to be the rallying cry behind why you might want to raise your kid in the same way or atmosphere that you were raised, whether it's with uh, the Rotan, whether it's with more freedoms, you know, the ability to just run around and, you know, come back for dinner, but whatever in the meantime. Like all that stuff comes from the... I'm okay. Um, and then I think it's the constant struggle of having to balance the, well, I turned out okay with the world has changed. And and both of those things can be true. Uh, keep those thoughts coming. We are asking you, how were you raised? <laughs> I know it's kind of a personal question. Um, how are you raised? How has that shaped the person or the adult that you've become? You can let us know by calling double seven double three two nine hundred. Uh, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We'll be back for more of your messages on Inside Story, BFM 89.9. Books, figurines, movies. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. It is 7.19 and you are listening to Inside Story with Lynn and Sherrod. We're talking today about how parenting shapes the person that you become and asking you exactly that. How were you raised? How has that shaped who you've ended up becoming? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. tweet us at BFM Radio, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. So I promised earlier uh, a point about socioeconomic uh, status and Ku is saying, I'm not a pro, but I do think that that status affects parenting style. Both my parents worked full time and quite frequently overtime. They didn't have time to check if we did our homework, etc. They just told us not to fail. Thankfully, we both turned out okay, but I do have friends with helicopter parents, mostly with a stay at home mom to guide them. Nonetheless, I'm 35 and childless, so my views and experience may be outdated. Uh, cool. I'm 58 and childless. <laughs> um, so, and I agree with you. I mean, and the, this the point I think is that it's very, and I think this is something that we didn't really discuss with Prakash, the clinical psychologist earlier, which is that what level of uncertainty is there in all this talk we have about good parenting and what styles of parenting and the consequences? Because any one child is going to be subject to so many different factors, so many different uh, pressures and influences and opportunities, uh, some good, some bad. Um, who knows what their life trajectory is going to be? I mean, we hope as parents that we do the right thing and then our child comes out good, right? Um, or on uh, on the straight and narrow. But it doesn't always work out that way, does it? No, I think you just try your best, don't you? Um, I, I do think, though, that I was always very grateful to both my parents for working. And this is not at all a ding on anybody who um, stays at home and is a stay-at-home parent, because I think that that is difficult and noble. Um, but because my parents both worked, um, it meant that I grew up with a very healthy respect for the idea of work. Um, neither of them disliked it. Um, they both seemed to, to enjoy it. They also carved out a lot of time for the family in the middle of work. And, and because of that, I think that my work ethic in some ways is informed by that. Yeah, in fact, we have a message from Felicia who says, my parents started uh, looking for a job for me when I was 16. And then uh, I'm independent. I'm, I'm paying my own college fees using PTPTN and working part time. I walk and take public transport home without depending on my parents. So Felicia, I think you tell the story of somebody whose parents probably saw the value of independence, sort of nudged you in that direction. And that that direction has actually been a positive one. Uh Unfortunately, that's not always the case, right? Because uh, one thing that get, that can happen if children are introduced into the working world and into money and wages very early is they really do feel that they're adults and, and then they want to chart their own course. I mean, you know, they can get the things they want through work. Yes. And so school might no longer be as attractive a proposition. Yes. So I think my parents thought that. And uh, so I had an allowance. They were they were strict with it. It wasn't as if I could just keep going and asking for more. Um, you get what you get and then, you, you know, you live within that. But they always told me they weren't particularly interested in um, pushing me towards taking on part-time jobs because they wanted that focus on school. And so because of that, I, I didn't actually work part-time until I got to university. 
Yeah, but you know, we hear that in different countries and societies that children are very um, encouraged very early on to start participating in the in in work and earning a wage because it's the belief there would be that you become an adult through that. And then if you choose to to study uh, and that's part of your own process, there's a kind of letting go very early, which I'm told, or it's rather said that Asian parents are less likely to do. Asian parents just don't let go and they certainly don't let go until, what, you get married, I think, or something like that. Uh, TIDJ says, my parents raised my siblings and I very differently. My brother was the spoiled child um, and he still is in many ways now, even though he's married with his own child whom he spoils too. Uh, One of my sisters and I was raised in a bubble. She's better adapted now, but I've become more of an introvert. And my youngest sister was given a lot of independence as my parents were both very busy. So she's very independent as an adult. So, you know, there's so many levels of this uh, TIDJ. Well, one of them is that uh, you might have the same parents, but your parenting style or the parenting style you're subjected to could be very different from child to child. And that's something also about the learning curve that parents have as they have more children. Part of that is also maybe just necessity, right? Um, Because as you point out, by the time you get to the youngest child, you have so many other children to care for. You might be in a busy period. There's all sorts of things. Um, We've also got, I believe, a caller on the line with us. We've got Liu. Liu, good evening. What are your thoughts? Good evening. Uh, Well, actually, the, the way you handle the child depends on the times. Back then, we were use the, my dad would use the rotan, you know, and now uh, we are using more on uh, what you call that uh, reasoning. But I believe that there's no right or wrong way. It uh, it depends on which stage of life uh, the child is at. If it's adolescence, if it's uh, uh, what call a baby or whatever. So at different stages, we have to apply differently. You can't have one rule that applies to every stage of their life. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, Liu. Thank you so much for sharing. I think that that actually echoes in some ways what our guest said earlier also about different stages, but also different personalities, right? That there's no kind of one parenting rule book uh, that can decide everything. Yeah, so it's not an exact science. I think, I mean, in some uh, significant ways, I mean, parenting is much more like, I don't know, like the arts, you know. It's it's expression and it's culture and it's individuality and the individuality of everybody, including the parents, right? And I think we have to accord parents the right to be individuals too, uh, That uh, and, and therefore the child at some point has to recognise that. In their parents. We've also got a tweet from Timberwolf who says, My father used to hit my head with his hands when I was in primary school if I didn't do well in maths or I didn't understand the concept. He's rather impatient. So even as an adult now, I'm not close to him and I still hold resentment. Yeah, Timberwolf, I mean, this is a big thing, I think, for because sometimes there's a tendency to downplay, you know, uh, corporal punishment or, mm. you know, physical violence uh, that uh, children suffer and say, well, you know, be resilient, you just get over it and you, you're a better person because your parents had, you know, good intentions. But I, I think that's too easy uh, because some children are traumatized and they carry, as you do, uh, these resentments throughout your life. And I think it's good to share, actually, uh, partly because it pushes back against the narrative of of, um, I was hit and I turned out fine. Because that may be true for, for you. It does not mean that it's true for everybody. Um, BHL says, compared to parents today, my parents were understated, but not in a negative way, I think. Successes in exams and competitions were just briefly complimented, not made a huge deal of like parents today. I didn't even tell my parents the number of prizes I won in college until my mum came to the graduation and was surprised at how many times I went up to receive a prize. Uh, friends and loved ones sometimes say I sell myself short, but I do find that all these these posts of success and humble bragging, etc., pretty grating. It shows my age and generation, I guess. As for independence, they allowed plenty of that. I regularly took the public bus back from school when I was 12, but I guess one could say safety was better. Yes, yeah, so BHL, I mean, there's also this idea that, you know, p- children crave affirmation. Um, and then some people learn that affirmation needn't come constantly. It might come in spurts and, and so on. But I, but I think the the lesson I'm learning from today's conversation is that every child is different and every child is going to process whatever, you know, um, 
love or lack of it in in very different ways. And we we're just interestingly that way. We're so unique. To close off, Anon says, I was raised with a cane by my mother and only lectures from my father. I had my fair share of towing the line, but also rebelling secretly when I was a teen. As a parent, I'd used the cane when my daughter was younger, but I've replaced it with reasoning and sometimes nagging when I feel she's not getting the message. But I try to remember what I felt at all the various stages of my growing up so that I use the most workable method. I have tried to keep my communication open because I felt my parents' parenting lacked that, but I always remind my daughter she has a choice, but everyone would have to face the consequences. After 20 years, I'm still working on things because the current influence is something that's out of my control. In conclusion, put in the effort, pray hard for success. Yeah, and um, pray hard, it's interesting. I mean, I say that as somebody who's an atheist, but uh, pray hard, I think, means you hope for the best because there is so much uncertainty in the And also so much at stake, gym. actually, when uh, you think yes. about it. Yep. Mm. Um, and that is all the time that we have today. Thank you, everybody, for sharing your stories of how you were brought up. You've been listening to Inside Story, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.